0: Why You'll Never Be a Rapper, a memoir mixtape by Josh What's-His-Name-Lefkowitz, forward by Fonte Coleman. Chapter 21 Rue was a dreamer. If I had a dollar for every far-fetched idea that he had that pertained to us getting on, I'd be a very rich man. We both would. Despite his dejection, Rue didn't hightail it for North Carolina. It turned out he had more dream making up his sleeve. Yo, I think I'm about to get us some dough, Rue said to me, smiling confidently. I didn't understand what he meant, though I was familiar with the slang. Man, these white boys at work are making a whole lot of money and they love me. I've been telling them for a while that we're looking for investors for the label, but I didn't want to approach them with it until it was time. And now it's time? I asked. Yeah, man, it's definitely time. I'm going out with them Friday for drinks, and I'm gonna drop it on them then. Really? How come you haven't told me about it? I asked. I didn't want to tell you until I thought it was real, but trust, it's very real. Real like what? Real like real. Like what? Like 10 grand? Maybe more. More than 10? Come on, man. Rue just smiled and said, watch. It was just like that, no long planning or strategizing session, no conversation, just an idea Rue had cultivated on his own and put into motion. Asking near total strangers to invest money in a label that didn't have anything tangible to show was Rue's thing. Me, I played the role of the realist, okay, the pessimist, based on my history thus far. I could dream big too, but when it came to things that seemed simply outlandish, I wasn't usually even down to make an attempt. Maybe it was fear of failing. That certainly aligned nicely with the full-on depression I was slowly inching my way towards. Rue worked for an energy company in Manhattan. Energy had recently been deregulated for businesses. This meant that companies had an option of choosing their energy provider rather than having to rely on Con Edison by default, who had monopolized the industry for years. Because this was new, only a handful of companies, including Rue's, were purchasing energy at wholesale prices and selling it to businesses at a lower kilowatt-per-hour rate than Con Ed's. The salesmen were all making giant commissions and had more money than they knew what to do with. Rue worked as a liaison between the clients and the salesmen, so he was everybody's friend. His natural charisma made him a great fit for the position and the salesmen treated him like a guardian angel. They were mostly college-educated white guys in their mid to late 30s from states other than New York. They wore bland, overpriced suits from Bloomingdale's and Brooks Brothers and had shaggy yet business-appropriate haircuts. They worked hard all day, so they unwound nightly at local pubs, drinking obvious liquors and making frequent trips to the bathroom. And no, not to piss. Baru didn't do drugs and could hold his liquor. While the salesmen would suck down their beverages like they were glasses of spring water, Rue would sip his slowly to ensure that he would never lose focus. The guys also dabbled in the stock market and were always looking for the next great investment. Luckily for them, their guardian angel Rue had just the opportunity they were searching for. Rue kept it simple. He offered 1% of Jimmy Joshua to a few of them for $10,000 and told them they could purchase as many shares as they wanted to. Two of them came forward for 1% apiece. Did that mean they'd get royalties from songwriting, publishing, show and merchandise income? Nope, none of it. After years of learning how artists had been taken advantage of in the music industry, Rude thought it was time to turn the tables. He convinced the guys that the real profit would be from future album sales so the artists, meaning me, wouldn't be affected by the investors. The guys had no clue how money was made in the music industry and Rude didn't elaborate. He showed them example after example of independent labels that had gone from rags to riches and why we were going to make so much more money than that. By Rue's calculations, if the investors would buy 2% of Jimmy Joshua for $20,000, our company would be valued at $1 million. That didn't reflect our reality. We had done nothing but spend and had no concrete evidence that we would ever earn a penny. His math was correct, but it was the type of valuation that Kevin O'Leary would have thrown us out of the Shark Tank for. That's just what Rue was good at using his charisma to convince people to support us. And with that, Rue single-handedly put us on track to making Jimmy Joshua Lifestyle a million-dollar company without us ever generating a penny of profit. To seem official, we wanted to make sure that we had an investor's agreement to present to our new best friends. We needed an entertainment lawyer to help put it together, but I only knew one. Larry Simmons was a smarmy type who started his business conversation by telling me that he loved my brother and sister and how he knew my mother and wanted to be a part of my family. But he did incomplete work. Remember how he abandoned the trademark application that he started for me back in 2000, shortly after charging me close to a grand? I'm a Taurus, a lifelong grudge holder, so in my world the adage goes, fool me once, I hope you die in a car accident. I would have been damned to even consider asking him for help. I wanted to find an attorney who could not only assist us in carrying out our plans, but also help us get in with some of the major labels. And as the great malice said on the clip song Grindin', on days I wasn't able, there was always Kane. So I called him. I remember him once telling me that he shared a lawyer with Eminem and 50 Cent. He confirmed that this was still the case, and after I explained what we were looking for, he told me that he'd be happy to establish the connection. We hung up, and within 10 minutes, Kane called me back. Take this number down. Ask for Theo. He told me. Theo Settlemeyer was a power broker, and if we could get in with him, we'd be all set. He was one of the big-time entertainment lawyers in New York City and had a client list longer than most celebrity wedding guest lists. Getting a Big Daddy Kane referral meant that he would take us seriously and not treat us like any other losers off the street. But it was Friday afternoon, and we had no shot of reaching him until Monday. The next day, we were at Fuse's place when my phone rang with an unfamiliar number. Hi, can I speak to Josh, please? speaking. Hi, Josh. This is Justin from Theo Settlemyer's office. My mouth dropped right along with my stomach. I grabbed Rue by the arm, covered up the mouthpiece of the phone, and whispered, Yo, it's somebody from the lawyer's office. Equally surprised, Rue motioned for me to go out in the hall where it was quiet and followed me into the dark and echoic stairwell to listen in. We got your number from Kane and wanted to see if we could sit down with you and talk about some business. Yeah, I screamed. Of course. Of course. I couldn't believe that I was receiving this call because Kane told me to initiate the relationship. I was taken aback and grateful that my friendship with him was yielding more than a feature from him on a throwaway mixtape song. Well, listen, man, I don't know what you're doing tomorrow, but I'd love to sit down and have some brunch. He wants to have brunch, I whispered to Rue. Yeah, man, brunch sounds great, I told him. Yeah, buddy, awesome. If you want, I can bring over some stuff for you guys to sign and we'll get everything squared away. I'd had this kind of conversation before and didn't like where I assumed it was heading. Paperwork. I don't get it, I said. Well, Kane said you guys had come into some money and needed to handle a few legalities, Justin said, revealing his true intentions. No, I told Kane that we needed help putting together an investor's agreement because we have people that already committed to giving us some money, I said. Okay, then, let's just talk about all of this at brunch tomorrow, okay? But wait, I thought you said, yeah, man, so why don't we start with trademarking your company name? Sound good? Justin said, cutting me off wait wait you totally just cut me off we're not trying to do okay buddy well listen we'll see you tomorrow then dude slow down i screamed while rue wore a face that was somewhere between furious and confused we're on two totally different pages right now all we need is an investor's agreement nothing else so you don't want to have brunch he asked stop with the fucking brunch dude jesus can you help us with an investor's agreement is that something you can do for us i said well uh it's not really my thing so much but if you're interested in anything else you can always give me a call to we don't need anything else i told you this from the beginning i said oh okay my friend well uh give me a call when you guys settle up with the money nah man i don't think so i said as i hung up my phone and tried my hardest not to throw it into the wall we needed a solution to our conundrum with limited resource the fuck just happened Rue said man i wish i knew Wait, doesn't your sister work for that guy who- Who, Larry? I said to Rue before he could finish. I can't call that asshole. He took my money and never did the trademark for me. I'm supposed to just call him and pretend like he didn't rob me? Bruh, I get it. But to get this money, we gotta have an agreement for these guys or we risk looking like unprofessional clowns. I'll talk to him. He won't get out of line with me because I'll cuss his ass out, Rue said. Fine, I'll get the number. I'll have my sister give him a heads up and you can do the talking. Within a few days, we had a call set up with the same lawyer that had crapped on me many years before. I wasn't happy about it, but I trusted Rue to keep things professional and prevent this guy from any attempt to take advantage of us. After a quick Saturday morning studio session, we head over to Starbucks on 6th Avenue and 21st Street for Frappuccinos and a conference call with Larry to discuss terms. Once equipped with our delicious and frosty yet grotesquely overpriced beverages, we settled into two mid-century green chairs in the front of the coffee shop and made our call. The only way for us both to be on was for Rue to call me, then to call Larry. But we soon realized that the delay we heard as each person spoke would make it too irritating. So Rue decided he would call and we would split his earbuds. We sat like teenage lovers on the four train, our heads uncomfortably close to one another as we prepared for our call with high hopes and low expectations. This ain't gonna work yo, I said laughing. Rue agreed and we switched up our strategy. Larry answered as he said he would and he acted like we were best friends. He even tried the I love your family so much shtick. I just said, uh-huh. Rue got right down to business and described what we were looking for. All right, so, Larry said to us, what you want to do is we'll set you guys up as a corporation, okay? Larry, we're not a corporation. We're an LLC, I told him calmly. Okay, LLC, great. So we'll do it like an LL. You know what? Hold on. After a few minutes of elevator music, he returned. Okay, so again, we'll set this up like a corporation and... You mean LLC? I told him. Right, LLC. So we'll do the... Okay, if you could just give me one second, we... Are... Uh, yeah. The fact that this man possessed a license to practice law was beyond me. He jumped from thought to thought out loud, seldom completing a sentence. He was scatterbrained and condescending, and I couldn't believe that he was able to obtain new clients. Finally, Larry successfully located the investor's agreement he had saved on his hard drive. He probably put us on hold to edit the names, and when he returned, he instructed us on the proper verbiage to use so that his actual man hours would be limited. Once our names were inserted, he told us that we'd have the document by the next business day and thanked us for the call. As annoying as the whole thing was, we were pleased that we seemed to have what we needed coming to us and only for a couple hundred dollars. The following Monday, the documents showed up at Rue's office via FedEx, just as Larry had promised. Though his wording suggestions were only to make his job easier, the agreement made sense and worked in our favor, promising investors close to nothing in return for their healthy endowment. Stoked, we presented our new partners with the contract. They signed it willingly, then handed us over two checks for $10,000. We deposited the twenty dollars in our Jimmy Joshua Lifestyle business account at TD Bank and went out for drinks to celebrate. Maybe Larry wasn't as much of a money-hungry piece of shit as I thought. A week later, a bill arrived in the mail from the law offices of Simmons and Stern for a 45-minute phone consultation for $175. Rue flew off the handle and all I could do was watch. I agreed to be the one to call him because I was the proponent of anti-conflict in the company. I tried everything in my power to keep my composure. Hi, Larry. Listen, what is this bill you sent us? Oh, that's a bill for the consultation? When did we have a consultation, I asked. You know, when you guys called me and we discussed the details of the investor's agreement that I was going to be working on for you? Yeah, but you told us to call you. Right. So how is that a consultation? You never said that was going to cost us money. We could have done that in an email. Josh, buddy, you have to know that anytime a lawyer is consulting you in any way, there's going to be a charge. You are well aware that we did not know that, Larry. You know we're beginners and you can't just take advantage of us. I wasn't taking advantage of you, I was just charging you like i charge any of my clients, but even less because I practically know your whole family. I told him what he could do with his bill. Josh, you're not going to pay me for my services? Oh, we paid you for your services, but I'm not paying you to have a phone conversation with us about what you're going to do that you'll then charge us for. That makes no sense. Plus, you and I both know that all you did was take an agreement you already had and change the names. So technically, you edited a Word document for $400. Consider it a wash. Well, I have to say, I am not happy about this, Larry said in his lawyer voice. Well, I wasn't happy about you screwing me out of $800 for a trademark you never filed. So again, we're even. The good news was that as a company, we were $20,000 richer than we were before all the legal annoyances. For the first time in a while, the future was looking a little bit brighter for us. The money made a huge difference for us almost immediately. We stopped spending our own money for studio sessions, website updates, and all other Jimmy Joshua matters. We could properly operate as an independent label and I had 20,000 new reasons to suppress the feelings of doubt, occupying my mind like a pink elephant. Regardless of what they say, money was going to have to buy me happiness because frankly, I had nothing else.